everyone. Welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter, and alongside me is Brandon, the hardest working producer in podcasts. Yes, I'm, I'm going to stand by that. I am the <laughs> hardest working person in podcasts. No one can say any different. <laughs> How are you doing, Tony? No, I, I would dare somebody to work harder than you in, in the podcast world, which I just heard on the Conan O'Brien podcast today. It's called the podcast space. That's what, that's how you should refer to it. I, I really like that. Conan's, Conan's a man of many wisdoms, so I'm going to take his word for it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his podcast. Same. Um, but this one's better. Yeah. Ours is better because <laughs> um, he doesn't talk about hunting. We do. Sure. Uh, I guess so. Hey, um, you've been outside raking leaves. Yep. It's, it's just that time of year in Minnesota. It's sunny and a little chilly and real windy. Which makes it perfect for raking leaves, right? I mean, who doesn't like to see their work getting taken away from them as they're doing it? <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I just figure if you wait long enough, most of the leaves blow away to the neighbor's yard. But that's as long as their leaves aren't blowing into your yard, you know. So it's, it's, it's probably... I wish it's maybe a zero sum game. Yeah. Well, I wish they had the same trees as me, so then I could say, "Well, that's not from me. That's from your tree." There's no way that's fine. <laughs> but I'm gonna DNA. Leaf. I'm gonna DNA test that leaf <laughs> and see where it came from. Oh uh, yeah, we had the garbage come today, and they took away a big pile of leaves. And now I'm now I'm just gonna wait, and I'm gonna mow and mulch them up, and hope that does it. I you know raking raking is for the birds i know i just got this stubborn maple in my back tree that just doesn't want to go yet. yeah it's still the maples they're late you they stay they drop leaves on top of the snow uh speaking of snow it's supposed to be chilly this weekend and i'm going deer hunting with my youngest kid it is youth deer weekend in minnesota and it's also an early antlerless season um in our zone because we have a little cwd well we've had one deer found with cwd so we get to now shoot up to five does per person uh, in our zone yeah so i'll be deer hunting my son will be deer hunting and then if we bag a couple deer then we'll probably start grouse hunting and turkey hunting you know what i called the dnr because i wanted to find out if you've got a fall turkey license and a deer tag, could you have in your um could you have in your tree stand a shotgun with which you would shoot a turkey and a rifle with which you would shoot a deer? And I thought, no way they're gonna let them. No way. And they said, I called the DNR headquarters and they're like, Yeah, you can do that. That's awesome. Yeah, That's- two guns, no waiting. That's so whatever great. whatever walks up, you could you could shoot it. Uh, That's really so, cool. That should be a great time. Glad you get to go out and do that. And you know, if you do catch anything, I wouldn't mind you know tasting some of the rewards as well. Because well, first of all, okay, here's we got to work with you on the lingo. I will not be catching anything. Okay, because they're they're real fast. <laughs> I'll be sh- I'll be shooting and killing them. <laughs> it's not no this is I funny can... my wife my wife asked me the same she's she, she'd be like now did you catch a turkey this weekend i'm like did not catch one <laughs> did shoot one 
Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll. You have to get me the book of hunting lingo. <laughs> yeah, no, you'll just learn. You'll learn it over time. <laughs> yes, man, dude. If I if I shoot a deer, you're gonna be getting some deer. We, I got you those elk sticks. What'd you think? They were so good. I actually managed to somehow save two of them uh, and make and make it home with them, so my girlfriend could try and. Uh, she wanted oh, more, so I wish I would have uh, had more. They were delicious. Well, we can get you some more. And uh, thanks to Walton's, and we hope let's come on, Walton's. If you're listening, you can re up that sponsorship, and then we'll have even more elk sticks for Brandon. Perfect. Uh, um, hey, our guest this week is a, a guy who's been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, I remember, I do remember the first time we ever met. He was a rising pastor and he was a keynote speaker at the National Youth Workers Convention, which was a big um, conference for youth pastors. I was not a keynote speaker. I was one of the like breakout session speakers, you know, like I did seminars and workshops with, you know, 100 or 200 people in them. And he was up on the main stage in front of like 6,000 people in a massive auditorium. And I remember meeting this guy. His name is Rob Bell. We were standing in the lobby of a hotel in Nashville, I believe. And um, for those of us who are breakout speakers, we were like in in the info packet we got from the people who ran the conference, we um, had to take the super shuttle. And then we would turn in our receipts for the super shuttle and get reimbursed. But Rob was a keynote speaker, so he had a limo. (laughs) <laughs> so I remember my, I have this vivid memory of, of standing in a lobby of a hotel talking to Rob and he's like, Oh, got to go limos here. And out he goes and he jumps in his limo and they take him to the, which I mean, this is no knock on Rob because it wasn't his decision. Like it's just what the people who ran the conference are like, if you're a keynote speaker, you get a big check with extra zeros on it and we send a limo for you. So that was my first experience of him, but we've been in a lot of things together. Um, I've read all of his books and, and, you know, he's a pretty famous dude in the Christian world. He's got a new book out called Everything is Spiritual, which we talk about. He, um, he did a, a speaking tour a few years ago with that title and I went to see him. He is just an extraordinarily gifted communicator. Anybody who's ever seen him live speak uh, knows that the guy is just a magician with words in front of crowds. But it's not just that he's a great speaker. It's that he has, he's such an artist. He, he's very deeply thoughtful. And though he doesn't hunt or fish, really, I, I wanted to have him on the podcast because you know, my quest is to try to put words around the spirituality of the outdoors life for myself. And he's a guy with such a great way with words. Uh, so we talk about that. We, we catch up a little bit. We joke about some old times. And, you know, it, it, you can uh, listen to us reminisce about going to the same seminary at the same time. Um, but then, you know, we really get into things like his love of surfing and my love of hunting. And um, he, you know, asks me and, and drills down a little bit. And we, I, th- I think it's just super profound. And uh, if you like what he has to say, you can easily find Rob Bell on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, find his website or find his book, Everything is Spiritual, which just came out this fall. 
uh, I would encourage you to get it. And once, you know, COVID is gone, if you get a chance to see him live, strongly, strongly recommend it. So without uh, any further ado, I'm going to turn it now over to my conversation with Rob Bell. Please uh, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. If you like this podcast, share it. We really appreciate the support. And here is my conversation with Rob Bell, the author of Everything is Spiritual. In this podcast? This podcast is called The Reverend Hunter, Rob. Oh, the Reverend Hunter. Nice. That's a good <laughs> Have name. you ever hunted? Have you ever hunted? Um, is a Reverend Hunter a critic? They're like a reverend hunter. <laughs> like I'm not hunting reverence. I'm a I'm a reverend who hunts. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. What was your question? Uh, have you ever hunted? Next to I've walked around in the woods with a gun in when I was a child. But like for that, squirrels no. or something? No. It's like for- golf for me. I have zero experience, but I completely understand why somebody would get completely why it's way more than a sport, right? For yeah. you, I assume. Oh my gosh, dude, it's my life. I, Somebody talks I about get... it. Looks nice that you have hobbies. Get out of my face, hobbies. <laughs> yeah, hobbies. No, right. You, you yeah, I, I like, I do other things so that I can afford yes. to hunt, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which may be the case with you with surfing, and I want to get into that. But I just want to start by commending you because I'm here on Amazon. Uh, and your book is your new book, Everything is Spiritual, which I've just read, just finished, uh, and is fantastic. And I want to talk to you about it. Is number three in Mid Atlantic U.S. biographies. <laughs> <laughs> the Mid Atlantic. I mean, that was always the goal, right? <laughs> Honestly, have we you? You've never even lived in the Mid Atlantic, have you? <laughs> Man, oh man! It's How is it? said from the beginning. <laughs> if you didn't get that mid-Atlantic thing, the peace, the serenity—it'll all fall into place. <laughs> well, based on your book, everything's connected, everything's related. So there must be a reason in the universe that you, Amazon, would think your book is a mid-Atlantic U.S. biography. Because I can't even think like Michigan's not even mid-Atlantic. Great okay. Lakes, maybe. That's something just like that. Make, that's just making up. That's an algorithm that's just run <laughs> way out of its little zone, and it's just making stuff up at this point. <laughs> um, hey man, your book. I'm so glad you've written this because, um, for one thing, I can stop answering questions, and a lot of other people can stop answering questions, which we get on. I get from time to time from people who know that I know you and they say, well, what does Rob hate Christianity now? Or, you know, like does Rob ever talk about Mars Hill or stuff like that, you know, because they know like that's when our paths first crossed. And in this book, it's really a memoir. I I mean, is one way it could be categorized, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right away. I, realized oh there are elements of memoir but not this is not trying to tell the whole story Mm -hmm. this is a series of fragments about a particular idea but then what happened is i was like but this is actually how memory works 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. I were to say Tony yeah, Jones, totally. tell me how you became Tony Jones, you wouldn't yeah. give me like this A, B, C, D, linear, clean unfolding. You'd probably tell me a, a constellation of experiences that mm-hmm. as you as you laid them out, something would begin to emerge within them. Do you know what I mean? That it's actually, yes. a, it's, yeah. a, it's meaningful, it's disjointed, it's all related, it's somewhat incoherent, and that's the yeah. wondrous. So actually with the book, I, I the book is a feeling as mm. much as anything. Mm-hmm. That was the great leap for me was, mm. oh, there's a, this, there's an, there's an energetic imprint. There's a feeling that, that is how this book is coming out of me that is actually the thing I'm trying to do here. Hmm. Everything is wobbly and unpredictable, and it's in some ways a series of stories about things not working and being awkward and painful, and it's all somehow magic. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you're... I, I've, I'll say this to your face. I don't know that I've ever said this uh, to you. I've said it dozens of times to other people. I said it to somebody this last week that I think you are the most gifted public speaker I've seen live. Um, it's just such a gift you have. And you, you write about that, which I thought was so fascinating. You write about that in the book because... I've had moments like that. I I also love public speaking, and I know that spark um, that you write about. It, you know, it sounds like maybe first it first happened in that uh, band you were you formed yeah. in college. Yeah, like an, there was like an early, there was like a beta version. Yeah, you know what I mean, like a testing version in a band, and then it was like, well, if we didn't have to do this long sound check, I have to wait for the drummer <laughs> to show up. Yeah, there's if it weren't for all these other guys. This would be the greatest gig in the world. And do this gig. This would be awesome. (laughs) And I think I saw some of the. We have several touch points that I want to get to, but I I think I saw some of. You know, I can't remember. I I remember you coming, or you having Mike Yacanelli come out with a live animal on stage Uh, at (laughs) at um, the Youth Specialties Conference, and you know. Oh yeah, that's going way back. That's a deep cut right there. We cross. Well, you do have a little. You you just in passing talk about an an animal defecating on stage (laughs) that you had brought up. Um, but here's one that was crazy, Rob. Talk about the universe connecting things. All right, my wife Courtney is. Um, she's on a two week road trip. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, because of COVID, my you know my kids are home from college, and so <laughs> she needs a break. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. She just wanted to take a road trip to the East Coast for two weeks. Um, so I thought, well, this would be a good time to clean out the basement. And I went downstairs, uh, and I started going through bins, and last night... Well, yesterday afternoon, I mean, before I started reading your book, I cleaned out four bins because today is recycling day. Um, and among the bins I cleaned out were what was a bin with all of my seminary notebooks. And in wow. that, I kid you not, I pulled out a notebook and flipped through it that was Systematic Theology One with Colin Brown. And oh. 
I took that, Rob, I took that class in 1990 and you mentioned, I mean, you don't name him in the book, but clearly that's who you're talking about, right? When you talk about. Okay. But, uh, but Tony Jones, how many people on the planet? This is what I'm saying. And be like, clearly you're talking about this British scholar of systematic (laughs) reality. This, this podcast is just for you and me today. I don't care if anybody else gets any of the references. That is amazing. I was like, what year did you take Colin Brown for systematic the I after Colin Brown I was so I was you're like Roman numeral four wait what was the Roman numeral one two three it's a great little anecdote in the book particularly for me because I'm like holy crap probably one or two years before you took that class I took that same class at Fuller yeah. I was at Fuller from 90 to 93 and I was like ugh I cannot do another Colin Brown class it's so freaking boring and I took Thanks be to God, my latter two <laughs> systematics courses from Miroslav Volf, who at the time was kind of like the the JV, you know, the JV professor at Fuller. <laughs> Nobody, you know, he wasn't famous, famous theologian yet. So um, that's amazing. Yeah, what, so that what year? W- yeah, yeah, go ahead. I showed up in the September of '92, so probably by nine, somewhere in '93. Yeah, I guess as I would have. I yeah. agree. Before I would have taken that. Did you ever go to a party at the Brazee House when you were <laughs> at Fuller? The, what's the Brazee House? That's it was like where a- I. It was where I lived with four other guys, oh. and we would have parties every quarter that were really like crazy. I don't. I mean, remember. crazy dance parties with an, an extraordinary amount of beer consumed. I don't, so I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know if we ever even met, but we did overlap. If you if you showed up, I showed up in let's see September of yeah. So you your first year was my third year, and now here's another thing. I worked at I was the youth pastor, you know, fifteen hours a week at Pasadena Covenant. And when you're talking about the church you worked at, were were you at Lake Avenue Congregational? Yes, dude. I mean, that's like those churches are a block away. And I had the exact same experience of taking kids out into the neighborhood. These white kids, they basically, their parents like commuted to go to a covenant church, you know? Yes. And then we'd walk around that neighborhood, which was nothing like the neighborhoods from from whence they'd come. That is seriously (laughs) one of the things I love about this past couple of weeks of doing interviews about this book is how it's like a, a Rorschach people find like mm-hmm. no interview is the same as previous books. As I'm sure you've experienced, there's like seven questions basically emerge about yeah. the book that you just answer in a, some sort of loop, which is fine. But this one, each, each interview, I'm like this, they're going to have something that's good, but this is the best because you <laughs> can take me to like the block and the neighborhood and the yeah, year well. and you were there. That's amazing. We were both there. I'm. I wonder if we ever had a class together, or we're at. I'm surely. I no, mean, we were on we the same campus for a year. It's not that big of a campus. Yeah, but we would have. We would have met. I'm sure Honestly. cross paths. Cross you know paths. What I'm saying? Like we would have been like, oh yeah. No, I don't remember. I I don't remember meeting you till later. It's also funny when you yeah. talk about this. Yeah. Um, getting part time jobs in churches and listening to people who you're told are very important theological figures, how young we were in the sense of like conventional yeah. wisdom. Somebody was like, this is how the game is played. Okay. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. like that you're in your twenties 
And there's a world that's telling you, take this step, then this step. This is how things, this is how the assembly line works. And so you're like the good son, you do it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then take these classes. This person's a really big deal. Oh, okay. Okay. I got it. <laughs> right. Apparently they're a really big deal. I don't understand what's going on here, but apparently they're a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even thinking like you, you graduated from college a couple years after I did and decided to go to Fuller in large part, it sounds like, because it was in California and you've always felt this since you were a kid, this spiritual connection. Land, to Cal- yeah. yeah, yeah, to California, and I, I mean, sim- for similarly, you know, somewhat who knows related, arbitrary, odd reasons. I was at college, and um, my hometown pastor in Minnesota told me I should go to Union in New York City. And for listeners who don't know, that's one of the most liberal seminaries in the country. And the guys in Campus Crusade at my college told me I should go to Dallas Seminary, which is one of the most conservative. And I was like, well, Fuller kind of splits the difference. <laughs> and so what the heck? I'll go there. I mean, what do you know when you're 22? You don't know shit oh, when you're 22. Thank you. Thank you. Because what I knew, I found Jesus utterly compelling, but I mm. didn't come from any sort of denominational structure or anything. So yeah. for me, it all seemed like, um, like, wait, 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 like refrigerator buzz, like just all of this static surrounding this story person that I found utterly compelling. And Fuller, when I found out that there were 120 denominations represented from 80 countries, I was like, oh, good. Like, there's too, there's so much within that world diversity that I don't, you know what I mean? Because the idea mm-hmm. of like picking like one particular path just felt so at odds with how I understood Jesus. It's so funny yeah. that we each had like a, yeah. And that my, I remember my grandma's pastor arguing, visiting my grandma, who's the opening pages of the book. And her yeah. pastor was visiting her and him finding out that I was going to Fuller and trying to convince me not to go there. <laughs> like, and I'm thinking oh, at one point I lived on a planet where people thought that Fuller was too wild. <laughs> I was Isn't like, that, on okay. that planet. That is yes, amazing. Man. <laughs> no, th- I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit because it's funny because years later, um, I was at Fuller for something and I I, can, I still teach in the doctorate ministry program at Fuller. I, c- I currently have a cohort of nine students that I'm teaching for the next three years. And so... And and yet, like you, you know, I I have a great fondness for Fuller, but also it's somewhat of a tortured love affair, you know? Mm. And... Uh, there was a guy named Rich Mao who was the provost when you and I were students, and then he became the president. And it was uh-huh. sometime I think I, they were courting me or something for. By the way, uh, you really liked it when I referred to him as Chairman Mao. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet he, I bet he loved that. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I, you know, I had a, I had a, a, a papal summons to go to his office. And uh, he was the president of the seminary, and this was this was I think shortly after Love Wins came out, which is you know you talk quite a bit about that in the book, right? About that the the controversy around it, and more about your own you know feelings and thoughts and your own growth. What am I doing from here? The, right? Yeah, yeah, from the growth from the criticism and and Mao, you know, 
it was shortly thereafter that uh, I think you know gay marriage also became it, it was already a hot topic in the church. But anyway, my point is, I'm sitting there in Miles' office, and he's shaking his head like, you know, you Rob Bell. I think he named one other person. I can't even remember who. You guys really, you know. I don't know how uh, what your relationship with Fuller is going to be like in the future. And he's just shaking his head. And I'm like, dude, Fuller made me the way that I am. Like the professors I took at this school expanded my mind and led me in the directions that I'm now going. So like you're responsible for this. But <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't so much like to hear that. Um, you and I had very similar conversations. Well, yeah. Like, well, like, and I know he got, thing yeah. done. This yeah. is what your the, your machine is perfectly engineered to create this. By yeah. the way, <laughs> how do you that's deal? Awesome. And that's what you know. One of the things I'm I, I I wanted to ask you about is how do you deal with? You know, you look back and and you you've already kind of mentioned it. Like, oh, what did we know? And um. <laughs> how, how how do you look back on like where you used to be on gay marriage, for instance? Because I remember even having a couple conversations with you when you were in your you know latter years at Mars Hill, and you know that was obviously the thing where like Mao, President Mao Fuller s- stood up for you when Love Wins came out. But then when word got out that you were you know in oh, favor yeah. of marriage equality, suddenly he you know, yeah. put out a statement that he no longer agreed with you or whatever. <laughs> um, Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny yeah. when you discover that other people are, it's like you, that somebody signed you up to play like at a fantasy league, but you haven't been drafting any players or doing anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, yeah. there's a whole game being played over here that you're not even aware of that you don't remember signing up for that you're being brought in, brought out, castigated, rewarded. <laughs> That's what that always felt like to me. Like there's a discussion happening yeah. in another room that apparently someone thinks I'm in that. Um, right. You know what I mean? No, that's a great way. I think that's a great way to think about it. And it, it's or even a how nice you just phrased it. metaphor. Sorry to interrupt. But how you phrased it was, you know, I don't know, Tony, what your relationship with Fuller is going to be like going forward. But, but I'm not aware that Tony, that this was a, an important issue to Tony going forward. Right. right. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just fascinating. It's fascinating how all that works. Um, how do you, how do you make peace with positions you used to hold that you no longer do? I mean, are you hard on your past self? There's so much of this book that required reflection. Like you think, God, why didn't I, why didn't I see that gay people are equal earlier? Or I'm pissed at my family for not, you know, for raising me in this church where women couldn't preach or anything. Like, how do you reconcile that? That I came from a world. I actually, I, I, um, I embrace evolution. Of course, the whole thing is going to move forward. And if at any moment we're not allowed to grow, the whole thing comes to a grinding halt. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so, yeah. so think about cancel culture. I can't believe I just said that. Okay, 
air quotes, cancel culture, where um, this idea that somebody tweeted something 11 years ago, so now they can't do this. What's interesting is that that consciousness that would see itself as participating in the leading edge of consciousness of culture actually shoots itself in the foot when Mm. it assumes that the person who 11 years ago said that is this person. So it says we're inclusive and we want everybody to come along. We want everybody to grow. But then it's harshest critique is for somebody who isn't who they were and somebody who grow. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and it would also biologically and scientifically be the first to argue for evolution, obviously, but then it would undercut its conviction of an evolving universe mm-hmm. by not letting anybody actually evolve. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just the, go right for, I came from a world, this world mm-hmm. was set up in a particular way. And then I began to have experiences that some of them confirmed the worldview I was handed and some of them worked against it. So I followed where the life is. Hmm. I remember my good friend in high school, his dad and mom were divorced and his dad lived across the street with his partner. So I have memories of 16 or 17 and some people are gay and they live with their partner. Some Mm -hmm. people are gay and live with their partner across the street from their former partner, former wife and kids and that's just how the world is so um if you honestly when i was just starting out if you would have come up to me after a sermon and said i'm gay i would have said okay i i don't ever remember having um a strong like oh you can't be that i remember yeah some people are gay i just knew too many people who were gay right yeah um and then i but this is the Thing that I think your question is so interesting. As I all of a sudden was like leading a church, what I noticed right. is that every, some people were like, yeah, of course some people are gay. They have partners, of course. But then there was other people who had an issue with that. And what I noticed is a large group communication where you would stand on a stage and say why it's okay for gay marriage or whatever, that there is somebody sitting there. People are either fine with it. If they're not fine with it, they're sitting there and they have a bunch of Bible verses scrolling through their head, right? <laughs> or, yes. or the voices. So I was like, oh, you could give the best series of teachings ever, but if you didn't address whatever is scrolling in that person's head as you're talking, that the, actually that the way that you help people with this is in a tighter setting where they can ask you questions. Mm-hmm. So I started doing like I would go to like living rooms and talk to a group of people <laughs> like yeah. I just started um going about like um because I just realized the large communication it didn't it caused more problems and mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah so I I um I came from a world it educated me and trained me and then like you I went out into the world and had my own experiences and so that's how I that's how I think about it. Um and it's okay. Yeah. You, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I you write pretty honestly in the book about the criticism you've received and <laughs> how much that criticism has stung you. I mean, you write about um 
there's an episode where you're, you know, sitting in a meeting and you see a stack of papers and somebody has printed oh, off right, book, book right. reviews. Right, right. And My first book. you Woo. talk about getting, yeah, you talk about like getting, you know, having people upset with you because you preached um, in favor of women yeah, and full yeah, yeah. inclusion of, of leadership, which, you know, right, some listeners of this podcast will be like, duh, <laughs> like, yeah, duh. Absolutely. But, absolutely. but again, like you say, the world you came from, there were a lot of churches where women were not allowed to preach. Like you, you speak glowingly about Ed Dobson, whom I knew a little bit as your, you know, father figure mentor in, in ministry and leadership. Did he let women preach at that church? Oh, that church wouldn't have let him let women preach. Yeah. So right. again, there, right. there we go. Like that's an, right. my example of like, how do you reconcile your love for this man who has right. Right. A, 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 a position on women in ministry that you find really distasteful? Yes, exactly. And this is why what you said about your listeners who are like women's equality, duh. Um, yeah. And even t- even telling that story, I was like, oh, I'm telling about this. That would have been 20 years ago. Um, there's a vulnerability there of this is this is not only wrong, it's like embarrassing. You know what I mean? Yes. Right. And, yeah, and, that, yeah, exactly. and that's exactly why to me it was so important to tell those stories and to tell about Ed mm. is every one of your listeners who has that like, oh well, gee, welcome, nice for you to wake up. Um, you yeah. have the same things. Like you, listener, have the right. same. Um, if if you can't see that and own that in me, it's probably because you have your own that you haven't owned. Like you have mm-hmm. to own everybody waking up in their own time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, otherwise, it's this awful, it calls itself progressive, and it's like a police force oh, that man. never yeah. stops judging who's advanced enough or who's not, where you and I can show our super progressive friend how all their ideas are in Leviticus. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. proper care for the earth. A respect right. for the powers of life as they course through your body. Like um, yeah. Celtic consciousness. Well, the second century, the sacred feminine was a central value of Celtic Christianity. Like mm-hmm. all the things that you're like, this is the new. Yep. Mm-hmm, it's only 1800 years old, that idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so part of the reason why I told some of those stories is to try and help free everybody from this idea that you've arrived as opposed to a constant opening that mm. just never stops, mm-hmm. which is just such a better way to think about it. I love it. Yeah. And Dobson, it. isn't that awesome? I'm so glad you included him. What a, I mean, and I just mean, a, like, you remember like when you're in your early twenties and you oh, filled man. with all this yeah. confidence and self doubt and passion, and you don't know a thing and you see somebody do something that gives you like a slight bit of framing for what might be possible. Yeah. You're not, you can't in that moment parse, oh, but the constitutional structure of the church won't allow him to make decisions. You're not there. You're just like, listen, there's like, I've never seen thousands of people in a church service and he's talking with a microphone up front and it's riveting. God, I've never seen any of this. 
what? This is yeah. awesome. You know what I mean? Do I do? I do. You're, you're like the most. You're at such an early stage of development yeah. that you're not yet like. Well, how do I maintain a life in an institution where I'm at odds with its policies? Good God! <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just yeah. trying to pay the rent, yeah. and you know what I mean. And then later, you're like, oh, okay. Here we go. Game on. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely. I, I you know, another thing that came up it, even going back to the Colin Brown thing that I, I want to talk to you about is so awesome. the, with the book. I well, it. I will tell you, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna ask okay, if Elizabeth Gilbert can refer to you as a pastor, then I think I can I can slip under that umbrella. Absolutely. And also call you a pastor. Yes, of course. So, I mean, I've gone through some a great deal of trauma in the last decade and and going through some endings and you know have in different ways than you um much more gradually and probably much less willingly have been have left the church or been basically nudged out of the church by some of these very you know people you're talking about who think that I'm whatever not not right enough to be in that context. So for me, throwing away all my, like recycling all my seminary notebooks, you know, like Rob, I I was last night standing over the recycling bin and, you know, pulling the paper off of the spiral metal Mm. binding on those. And it said Fuller Theological Seminary on the cover. And what a moment. Because I thought, well, I haven't gone back to him in 30 years. I'm probably not going (laughs) to ever go back to him. But (laughs) it was also, you know, you. this is what I want to ask you about endings. I want to ask you about endings. Because you write in the book about endings being a phrase you use, something like, endings are painful, but also good. And I feel like I'm not quite at an ending, or maybe I should be at an ending, the, honestly, recycling all my, you know, throwing out all my seminary notebooks was, uh, um, I think, a part of it. Yeah. Gr- grieving the ending of that dream that I would be a pastor of a big church. It, that's not going to happen. I'm 52. I'm never going to be the pastor of a big church. Like that, my life is going in another direction now. But so I'm asking, what have you learned about endings and even about failure? Because you write about a play, you know, that you thought was going to get made and didn't, or a TV show you thought was going to get made and didn't. Like You also are pretty honest about those kind of endings in the book. I just got an offer this week to do that play, which makes me so excited. <laughs> That's when awesome. I put it in the book, you, I Dude, was you like, got to update the book. You got to update the I book. I was like, wouldn't that be funny if I told it in the book about the yeah. first play? Because there's a second play that got optioned, but the first play this week, um, I was like, put definitely tell the play story because it's important <laughs> to tell it where it is now. Yeah. But if it ever does get made, that's just going to be like a, like a hat on a hat. Like that's just funny stacked on funny. Um, <laughs> well, uh, first off, for so many people in our culture, they only know endings because something went wrong. Something turned sour. Mm-hmm. So you think about how divorced we are from the earth which has its natural rhythms and seasons where a season comes and then a season goes just because that's how life is and how when you live in a modern industrial market ideology culture, you can live divorced 
from the seasons other than, oh, it's cold out today. Um, so I think there's a direct relationship between how much concrete and neon there is in the world and how mm-hmm. so many modern humans are disconnected from seasons. So when something ends, the assumption is it must have gone wrong as opposed to it's a season and it ended and it's ended. It's good. Let's end it while it's good. And I've done a number of times with a group of people. I'll ask, how many of you can look back on your life and see something, a time when you stayed somewhere too long? And every single person raises their hand. I say, how many of you Mm -hmm. can see the moment when it was done and then you stayed longer because of a paycheck or comfort or security because it was known or something and that's when it went sour? So this is like a universal human experience is we have a deep knowing that sometimes I don't know why Kristen and I talk my wife, Kristen and I talk about the cloud is moving, (laughs) which is a perfectly vague and specific feeling. You know what I mean? The cloud's moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which just for us encapsulates that apparently we're done living in this house. Why? I don't know. Other than open your eyes because undoubtedly, something is going to present itself. Um, and so, um, yeah, I came to the end of that chapter and I wrote about it because I've noticed how many people I've heard express some sort of something is ending, but because nothing's wrong and they have somebody around them saying, you should be grateful that you have this. And none of the gratitude stuff works. It's not because I'm not grateful for this setup. It's just right, right. something within me knows this is done. Yep, that's how. That's actually how it works. As opposed to you wait until yeah. they've got pitchforks out front, and then and then you rush out the back door. Um, and most people, well, what, yeah, what because- could have been an ending. What could have been a graduation is generally a divorce. It just it blows up in their face and it's catastrophic. As opposed to a graduation, I did that. Now I'm doing something else. So true, and and I love that you. You show behind the curtain a bit because, of course, when you left, when you left your pastoral ministry in mm-hmm. in Michigan and moved to California, the you know is is a correlation or causation. Like, did he leave because love wins, and yeah. he's about to come out as pro gay marriage or whatever? And then we, I mean, maybe those were factors in it, of course. Um, but we also hear stories of you, you know in therapy for like how angry you were and in the fetal position on your office floor. Oh uh, yeah. That was earlier. Uh, oh yeah. Know, that was not, earlier, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like not knowing if you could go on. So it, it wasn't like all of a sudden. And then we, then we see like, we're with you on that walk with your wife. Oh yeah. When one of you, and even the way you wrote it, Rob is really truly beautiful. Cause you're like, yeah. one of us said it's time to go. The other one said like almost like, it doesn't matter right. who who said right. California, and maybe you don't even remember which one of you said it because that's how simpatico you were at the moment. Yes. Oh, see, Tony, I love that you appreciate this stuff. Yes, it was, was intentionally beautiful. Written. I really love that scene. Beautiful. Yeah. It was intentionally written because the answer had always been, "What's well, what are you guys going to do next?" Well, we're here doing this, and then. Mm-hmm suddenly that answer didn't work. We were like, wait, what is this? What is this stirring? What is going on? It was like, um, 
suddenly we were open and like, oh, something's happening. What is it? It's like it was coming on the horizon. You know what I mean? Like, mm. But you can't yet tell yeah. even what it is. It has very little shape or form. And then it just got, oh, we're done. I remember the first moment of, oh, I'm done doing this. And then the geographic element was like right there on the, we both, oh, oh. And then it was absolutely crystal clear. I mean, it was mm. as obvious. Oh yeah, this has been great. And now it's time to do the next thing. Okay. Hmm. I mean, it literally, there was no like, what is going on? I don't want it. Um, it was so clear. Yeah. 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 Do you think, do you think <laughs> it was so clear? Because, you know, here you've been talking about how much of a struggle it is for people to make these transitions. And it really is. Um, do you, do you think it's, I mean, you write about being in spiritual direction and being in therapy. Mm -hmm. Do you think mm -hmm. some of those practices had, had put you more in tune with the spirit so that when the time came, absolutely, it, it was more kind of readily available to you? Absolutely. And part of my, Kristen has always been profoundly intuitive with a deep, deep sense of knowing. She always says that she's the rudder. She's like, you can't see me, but I steer the ship. <laughs> um, so, but what had happened, yeah. <laughs> you, in the, you know, in the world we came up in, the guy or the woman who's holding the microphone up front preaching, that man or that woman is also the person wearing the other hat, which is the leader hat. There's like two hats that the, that the pastor is expected to wear. And so in the book, I didn't use the yep. two hat image, but in the right. book, when I talk about, there was this stuff that I did that absolutely lit me up that I could do forever. The, the making things and sharing them with people. And then there was this massive organization that required somebody to have their hand mm -hmm. on the wheel. And, and when I did that, I thought I was going to die. It made me supernaturally mm -hmm. exhausted. So I had, had to go through the pain. So, so that was a lot of the spiritual direction was, is there some other way to do this? Because this world that I come from requires me to wear these two hats and I can only wear one of them. And the one of them gives me more than enough. It's one, it's a whole lifetime. It's multiple lifetimes of work alone, let alone this other thing. So, so in answer to your question, I had already had to go through that pain in the book. I talk about it like soul, like learning to listen Yes. Even when everything around you is like, no, this is what you do. But something within you is like, no, that's not what I do. This is what I do. Um, so yeah, I, those muscles I had had to develop over a long period of time. So when this came up, it's at some level had some practice. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like there was so, yeah. enough yeah. musculature to go. Oh, and then, um, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. Another thing that was happening is I kept bumping into, if you take Jesus seriously, that, that, that human beings have built temples for thousands of years in order to understand that which is sacred and holy. But then the moment you name space holy or sacred, you have by default 
named other space not holy and sacred. That's right. And so what was happening to me is I kept thinking, it's almost like you got to build a temple long enough for people to be able to conceive of this, but then you got to tear that temple down because otherwise Mm -hmm. everything gets split. Mm -hmm. And so I was working in a fairly large temple and I would say, like, this isn't the point. The point isn't to come into this temple and meet the divine. The point is to come in and we gather long enough to, to be reminded and have our eyes opened to the divine who's everywhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But the problem with the setup I was in is, Rob, it's so great how you said that this isn't the point. <laughs> Can you come back next week and say that again? You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. And so I was in this real, I don't think yeah. I've ever written about this. I was in this really interesting spot because I was like, wait, 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 wait. If you take this Jesus message, if you take it all the way, it takes you into the deconstruction of this whole thing because it's an announcement that the whole world is a temple. Science, art, politics, hunting, business, law, healthcare. It's all a temple, but this machinery that I'm a part of is, it's almost like working against itself. And then I would go out on tour and go to like clubs and theaters where what I was doing was in spaces that weren't labeled religious or spiritual. And it was like what I was doing had an extra bang to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, it it almost like it made sense in spaces outside of what people would already be going into with this is religion, this is Christianity. But so, so that actually, that was what was happening at a deeper level is I'm here to announce that the whole thing is a temple. And yeah, that in the book, when I talk about new work and new spaces, go do that. Um, like, yeah. and that's not actually leaving the tradition. You're just, honestly, Tony, you're leaving Mars Hill to go do Mars Hill. Right, right. I mean, that's actually what was happening, but it's hard to articulate that in the moment without, you just sound like a guy you don't want to sound like. You know what I mean? I've I've really discovered that this whole, you know what I mean? You're just, get out of my face. Well, no, you. but you gave a talk at a conference I ran a few years ago called The Whole Thing is a Temple, or at least that's what we called it on the YouTube video. (laughs) And I'll link that in the show notes because that really, Rob, that talk was just, astounding and and oh, a blessing was that, at that, that, was in, that was in texas yeah in houston texas yeah or no oh, was dallas, that about the, about the yeah. polish masseuse who comes over to my house with the egg whites yes there and, was that in there and, the there, was, dryer. and okay. there was a lot about surfing and that's what i want to ask you about now oh this is, is all a warm-up for the real thing i love it what do you love about surfing tell evangelize surfing to us no because <laughs> you don't you don't want us to because you don't want more people on the on the waves fighting no, for the way good waves because there's a point at which you talking about why you love hunting you start mm-hmm. to realize that you sound silly okay right there's something because you love it that much yeah because it's it's an experience that goes beyond any language you could use for the experience um yeah i mean i could say a couple of things about how the very nature of surfing is you enter into the ocean and you find out what it's doing. So it's a long period, mm-hmm. short period swell. Which direction is the wind coming from? Is there any texture on the water? How big are the waves? Where are they 
Um, and then the direction of the swell determines how it's breaking. Are they rights? Are they left? Are they A-frames? Is it a shore break? Is it a point break? Is there a reef? Um, so, and then you wait for the wave, the next set of waves to come in. So the whole premise is you submit to something larger that's happening that that started four weeks ago off the coast of Japan or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So I would start with that's really good for the soul that you it's musical on some level because it's almost like you're syncing up with what it's doing. Um, and so you're listening, you're waiting, you're on something else's timetable. Uh, hmm. So I'd probably start there and then a wave can just wreck you. Oh, I mean, he, I took a friend out who'd never gone two weeks ago. I took him out and the surf report said one foot. I was like, I'm going to take you out in tiny waves. And he's just getting wrecked. And he's yeah. like, what the? I was like, I I've know. Yeah. I know. You can see when you watch from shore and you're like, that can't be that hard. And he's just getting spin cycled in two foot waves. Um, so it's all this incredible power. You're traveling across the face of the earth on an orbital pattern of moving energy. Mm. Um, but if you're not in cooperation with it, then it just lands on your head. <laughs> and you're just like, you don't even know your name. So, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I, you might, I think you're tapping maybe into something that I, I want you to, okay. you know, assume that role of pastor for me again, because, um, as I've as I've kind of you know been nudged away from the church by the spirit or by people or whatever, I've really found what what surfing is for you. Hunting has become for me. Uh-huh. I, it, it's uh-huh. it's I've kind of patterned my life around it. I it's what I daydream about. It's what I oh, lie awake great. in bed at night and think about. It's being in tune with. Um, you know, being in tune with the woods, if I'm deer hunting or with my dog and, and the other hunters, and if I'm walking through a field of switchgrass looking for pheasants or whatever. But I have, I will say this, and this is, this is, I, I, you know, in, in our remaining moments where I don't know if we can really crack this egg completely, but Keep going. Let's go. I'm trying to it. figure out how to articulate it. Okay. And so yeah. like, I, I am, I am more of a, if you're more of a mystic and a poet, I am, I, I'm more of a prose, prosaicist, a <laughs> prose, right? You know, like my writing is in orderly paragraphs. Yours is not my, my, I, I probably, you, you felt uncomfortable with Colin Brown. I probably thought at the time when I was at Fuller, like I want to be a systematic theologian. In fact, uh, I tried yeah, yeah. to, I tried to be, a, you know, I tried to get into PhD programs in systematic theology. I'm less of an artist and less of a mystic. Got it. Got it. And I'm okay. So I, I try to, I'm trying to conceptualize so I can communicate to people what is so great about hunting. Uh, and I yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah. I know that people have come to your two day events and had these same kind of conundrums. Like I just can't get over the hump on something, and you're really good. So solve this for me. Is what okay. I'm saying. Solve it for me. So here's Ask me gonna... all the right questions. Okay. Here's the first question. Okay. 
you're in your car, you're driving out, and you're going to be hunting for the day. What mm-hmm. what does it feel like? Electric. Ooh. It feels. Uh, I feel excited. Every, everything about it. The the clothes I'm wearing. Laying my hand on the gun. Hearing the dog in the back seat. Everything about it's just it, pure like uh, adrenaline anticipation. What is it like when you're driving home? I, I'm exhausted, but with that, you know, with that good exhaustion, yes. like I pushed my body yeah. to the absolute limit. I, you know, I hiked through fields 10 or 15 miles a day times five days. How long can I do this? I'm 52. Am I still going to be able to do this when I'm 72? Like, I got to make sure I can keep doing this when I'm 72. Yes. The answer is yes. Um, Oh, oh. So, does it matter whether you get an animal? Less and less the older I get. Okay. So, the more you do it, the more you're fully present in the experience and the outcome is less a determinant of the quality of the experience. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, true. So, yeah. Yeah. So an outcome, the interesting thing about an outcome is an outcome is something that removes you from the present hmm. because an outcome implies if I get an animal, then it was a good experience, which puts your joy in the future. Mm-hmm. What you're describing okay. is an experience of presence. Well, think about how much of the world is organized around the outcome. Yes. This business was a success if it makes X amount of dollars. These kids, my efforts were worth it if they go to such and such school. Um, I mean, the modern world was built on mastery, but yeah. the only interesting thing ever was presence, which is participating in an eternal now where you're just here and nowhere else. Hmm. So what's interesting is when I ask you these questions, you immediately respond with, there is something about this experience that rescues me from it needing to be anything other than it is in the moment. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, the experience of hunting becomes a glimpse. Has hunting leaked into the rest of your life? Oh, I, I'd like to think it is. I, 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 you know, other parts of your book that I resonated with, and, and you knew me in my 30s when we first ca- crossed paths, and like I was so ambitious I just wanted to accomplish everything. I wanted to, you know, write all the books, speak to all the crowds, preach at all the churches, um, have my name, you know, have my blog, get the most hits. And, uh, you know, by, well, for, for various reasons, a lot of that ambition I feel like has been stripped from me. I think part of it's just growing older and, you know, crossing the 50 threshold yeah, and, sure. And having done a lot of it and then having it taken away from me, it's a lot less important. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to think it has leaked into the rest of my life. I You're think it out has. with a dog in a field mm-hmm. walking for 15 miles and there's nowhere you'd rather be. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. It's okay. awesome, man. I love every part. I mean, you pr- maybe you're like this about the sur- you you write about, you know, the smell of the wax and the- yeah. I like I like the small yeah. town diners where we go get yes. pancakes before yeah. we go out. I like sitting on the 
tailgate of the truck and, you know, eating yeah. trail mix with the other guys between fields. Uh, every part of it, there's not a part of it that I don't like. There's not a part of it that I think, well, I got to put up with this part to be able to do that part. It's the whole yeah, right. experience is what I love. Yeah, there's this really interesting uh, practice or truth called the concretization of the ideal, which is mm. the world's broken, it's fragmented, it's in trouble. And then a ritual is something that takes how you long for everything to be and gives it a physical, tangible expression in space and time that you can actually enact. Hmm. So uh, uh, the, these slaves in Egypt come out of the chaos of oppression and they're brought into the wilderness. And in Leviticus, they're given rituals which enact a new ordering of the world. Mm -hmm. And that the ritual is the concretization of the ideal. Hmm. So you and I intuitively found our way to these rituals which enact something, a harmony with nature, a communion with all of creation. Um, it's interesting how you described, like, can you do this until your 70s, which is um, your height, you're much more tuned into your body and caring mm -hmm. for your Absolutely. body. Yes. And, um, and then there's 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 a Zen like appreciation for the aesthetics of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I can only imagine the gear, what it's like to put on that jacket. Um, this, yeah, this is how yeah. we like when people look at what about the world right now with politically, what about economically, what about all the chaos out there? My answer is always, I wake up in the morning and I do my work. And I do my life yeah. with an intention and a depth and a care because that's the only place anybody can start. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I do know what you mean. I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah. And even when people are like, well, what about Syria? I will respond, I wake up and walk my dog. Then I'm going to meet with some more people. I'll try to write some more paragraphs. I'll try to craft some more. <laughs> that's my answer is. Yeah doing yeah. my work and that's that's how i can answer um so in some ways what you're describing is how you answer the chaos of the world with hmm. these rituals and practices that ground and center you it's so beautiful it's way beyond well thanks I get when people talk about uh, like a hobby or yeah. a sport you're just like that just doesn't do it. <laughs> no, not a hobby. I mean, and I yeah. think one other part of it for me that I bet is similar with surfing for you is I so much in our lives is so distracting and I I am 100% focused. Like when when I'm in a yes. field with guys and guns and dogs and pheasants exploding from um, you know, a cattail slough. I'm not like my mind isn't wandering. I'm not daydreaming. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm every sense is heightened. Yeah. And it's just, it seems like it's, we live such leisurely lives. I, I often think about my, you know, forefathers who worked on farms or who were hunter gatherers and, you know, they, they they needed to be totally focused on what they were doing at the time because it was 
you know, it was risky. It was physically risky what they were doing. And I think hunting is about the only thing I do that's like that. I'm guessing it's similar in surfing. Like it, it takes everything you've got. Yeah. 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 And then, and which is why I asked you about leaking into the rest of your life. Uh-huh. How is that not going to make you more present in the rest of your life? Yeah. How, how, how is the act of being fully present not going to show you what it looks like to be fully present? And that is by very definition going to help you see then when you aren't, um, mm. which is why the ritual is so powerful is it shows yeah. you if this space and for these moments can be ordered in this way, well then can what other space can be ordered, reordered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 That's the question. That's, that's such a good question because even when it comes to something like prayer, you know, I I just remember being a younger person and being so frustrated with myself because I couldn't focus, couldn't concentrate, my mind wandered. Mm. And now I found this this activity that demands yeah. all all my all my attention and energy and focus. And I think, well, that's what I've always wanted with prayer. So I mean, why wouldn't that be prayer? And you, as an artist mystic, that's an easy, that's probably a shorter chasm for you, for you to jump. But for me, as like a whatever I am, you know, left-brained intellectual uh, theologian, blah, blah, right. blah. That's a bigger chasm to jump. Oh, interesting. For me to be like, hunting is my prayer. Oh, yeah, cute. That's cute. <laughs> that's cute. That's <laughs> but I want it to be. People are always like, what's your meditation practice? What do you do? And I was with this, there's this great Buddhist teacher, Mark Nepo. And somehow we were talking, somehow he was asking me about surfing or something. And I was describing, like I did, like, no, I can't really describe it. But here's yeah. a couple. Of it. And he's like, oh, yeah, moving meditation. Oh, like, yeah. I love it. He's like, we have a whole category. There's a whole category. But some, for some people, their, their meditation is a moving meditation. <laughs> he just was I like, yeah, of course. Of course. Of course that would be <laughs> like for you. <laughs> Uh, I, I, that's a similar, reminds me of like, uh, when I was writing my last book and I met with a rabbi and I said, um, do you, do you guys think God is like, I'm starting to think God's inside of time. I was always taught God was outside of time. Do you think God's inside of time? And he goes, of course, God's inside of time. Are you crazy? Whoever told you God's outside of time? It's like, uh, just every professor ever it's, you know, every Every vacation Bible school teacher. Every okay. A before mine, a friend of mine was in Israel. I love that because a friend of mine was in Israel meeting with this really esteemed rabbi, and he's walking along with the rabbi, and he says to the rabbi, "What, uh, what do you think happens? What happens when we die?" And the rabbi says, "That's not an important question. <laughs> <laughs> Just not an important question." <laughs> oh, before we go, um, we got a lot of dog lovers, of course, because hunters, a lot of hunters are, yes. are listening. Okay, tell me about California Sunshine, which is one of my favorite paragraphs in your whole book. Oh, man, we had a yellow lab. Oh, that's what I have, what yellow labs. What a great dog. And the, the, the breeder... He was like the breeder in the area because all of his labs had perfect hips, which is a big, I don't yeah, know if that's still a big sure. deal. The pedigree. Oh, yeah. big and his deal. name was Daniel Baylog, and he paid my parents to breed our good lab. Oh. And he put a male in the pen 
with our dog and she attacked him and he yelled at the top of his lungs. I mean, I would have been six or seven. Daniel Balog is yelling, get my dog, get that bitch away from my dog. Get that bitch <laughs> away from my dog. And my six-year-old ears <laughs> happening on my parents' soil in full view. Oh, my word. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We now have a dog. We got, there's a dog rescue in our neighborhood. It just went out of business, but it's called Bark and Bitches. Mm. And we got a pit bull mixed with an Australian cattle dog um, from them a couple cool. years ago. Yeah, she's like cool. she's like ripped, but doesn't work out. You know what I mean? Just like totally yep. owned. Yep, yep. Yeah, what kind of dog do you have? I got a yellow lab. Oh my I goodness. Yeah. yeah, and then California I've, Sunshine got hit by a car. So sad. Saddest, saddest day of my life. But man, I just, I'll tell you what, if, if you happen to have a picture of yourself with California Sunshine Ooh. and or with that iron on, I love my dog, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was a ringer tee. I'm guessing it was a ringer tee. Oh, I think it was just plain yellow. I'm trying to. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love it. I'll have you got to send that to me and I'm going to use that on social media when I promote this podcast episode. But even oh, the visual man. of it, I'm sure you were a little toe-headed blonde kid with your For yellow sure. lab. I sure. love it. Okay. I absolutely have, love it. may require a email from my mother. <laughs> Dig around. Hey, yeah. it's great to talk to you, Rob. I really appreciate it. I, I'm I so, love it. I so love your new book, and I hope a million people read it. It's oh, it's really special. Moves me beyond. Yeah, this was really. I really really enjoyed talking with you. That was really thanks, awesome. man. Yes, yeah. I'm so glad you're hunting with your dog out in the woods, doing well. I am, and I'm doing things it. like this. <laughs>